I am looking forward to a fresh start with you all this year as we uh, begin 2020. That's uh, an opportunity for us to have a, a clear sight, right, into what God has for us in the future. Well, it was a, a crowded day, and, and the airline flights were being booked like crazy, and, and, and flights were being canceled because of other things that were going around, and so there was this single gate agent that was at the desk that was responsible for reassigning people into new flights and getting them new tickets and new planes and new times and all that was going along. And, and all the people who were being inconvenienced, and, and it's a little irritating. If you've ever been there before, you, you know what I mean. Uh, you, you've got a time schedule you want to keep, and now, you know, something outside your control has all of a sudden changed that. And that person right there has the ability to get you back on schedule. Suddenly, this, this angry passenger kind of pushed his way to the desk and moved everybody around to get up front. And, and he, he slammed his ticket down on the desk, and he told the, the, uh, the agent there, he says, I have to be on the next flight, and I have to have a first-class seat. <clears throat> she replied, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but uh, I'll be happy to try to help you when it's your turn. But first, I need to take care of these folks who had been in line in front of you. He wasn't being put off that fast. And so he began to get himself a little more angry. And he talked a little bit louder so more people could hear. And he said, do you have any idea who I am? Well, without hesitation, she grabbed the microphone in front of her. And she said throughout the entire corridor, may I have your attention please? I have a passenger here at gate 17 who does not know who he is. If anybody can help him discover his identity, please come to gate 17. <clears throat> the people in line did the exact same thing you did. They laughed. You know, sometimes it takes a bit of humor to lighten a difficult time in our lives. And, and so, while that man gritted his teeth and he, he did everything he could, he finally returned back to his place in line. Although everybody was still frustrated that they were being moved and the time schedule had now been shifted and had been canceled, they handled the inconvenience a little bit more lightheartedly. In our biblical story today that we're going to look at, we're going to discuss um, an issue in which Jesus himself was asking that same question. He wasn't like this angry passenger that was asking out of, out, of, out of his meanness. He just simply wanted to know, do you have any idea who I am? And so in Matthew chapter 17 is where we'll find that today. He, he didn't ask the question to kind of throw his weight around or because he wasn't sure really who he was, but he asked the question to help his disciples come to a right understanding of exactly who he was. They've been traveling with him now for a couple years, but do they really know him? Do they know who he is? And, and an honest historian and an, and an objectively thinking person has to admit that Jesus was a real man. He lived in Judea a long time ago, and, and he's credited with some astounding acts of, of miracles, or, or there's no other way to explain what it was. And, and, and he was crucified underneath uh, a sign that Pilate had placed above his said that gave indication of who he was, King of the Jews. And he wrote that out in three different languages so everybody could understand. But the question is not, was he 
but who was he? And there was a lot of confusion as to his identity then, as there is even today. I'm reminded of a story back in 1976. It was a a time here that there was a movie that came out, a movie that was presented by the name of Freaky Friday. Do you remember that? All right. Well, well, um, Barbara Harris and Jodie Foster were the two, mother and daughter, uh, that in this movie, and something transpires, and and all of a sudden they become each other. Uh, Well, somehow the, the, the person and the being of the mother, uh, Tess, she goes into her daughter and becomes her physically, but yet mentally and, and spiritually or whatever you want to call it, she was still herself and it kind of reversed roles. The mother was now the daughter and the daughter was now the mother. And when people talked with them, there was a confusion going on because when they were really thought they were talking with Anna, they were talking with Tess. When they thought they were talking with Tess, they were talking to Anna. And it got everything messed up. A freaky Friday. Now, just as there's identity confusion in that kind of storyline, there was also some identity confusion for Jesus. Who is he? People misidentified him back then, and they're still misidentifying him even today. So, we're going to look at our text this morning in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. So, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and and others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say uh, that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. I mean, that's, that's really what it's called. His name was out there everywhere he went. They were anticipating him coming into town. And, and so everybody in the community would go out onto the main road and, and wait for him to show up. Sometimes they would go out to the hillside outside of town to go, to go see him and visit with him and listen to him and speak. Everybody should have known who Jesus was. And even in our world today, it's amazing that we will encounter people who don't know who Christ is. So this morning, I want us to consider this question. Who is Jesus? And we're going to look at it from three different perspectives. There is the first person narrative. What did Jesus say about himself? And that's where we're going to begin. Jesus used this phrase, this wording. He said, the son of man. Son of man was a title that was applied uh, in the book of Daniel to to the, the promised Messiah or the Christ. So the one who was to come, who was... Uh, promised very beginning of, of all creation when Adam and Eve sinned and God said, I'm going to send one who eventually is going to come into this world that he's going to defeat sin and evil and crush Satan. Ever since then, they have been looking forward to this promised one to come. And the book of Daniel gives him a name, a title, son of man. Let's look at what Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says. And I saw in night vision... 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, which by the way, the ancient of days is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we've got Daniel telling us who this Son of Man is. It is the promised Messiah who is going to ascend to a throne that God himself is going to place there, and it's going to be an everlasting kingdom, the one that they've been looking for. This is the Son of Man. The title has reference really to his humanity rather than his deity. Ron Rhodes, who's the president of uh, Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry, he makes this statement. He says, the incarnation of Christ did not involve the subtraction of deity, but the addition of humanity. You see, what, he, what he's saying is when Jesus came into this world, born through Mary and of the Holy Spirit, he didn't lose his ability as God. He still was God, but now he was in the flesh, in human form like you and I. We, we understand humanity because we can, we can touch and we can feel it. But that which is of spirit, which Jesus told the woman at the well that God is spirit, so he's not really flesh and blood, but yet here he was, God in spirit, in flesh and blood, right there before her. You see, Jesus is referring to his partnership with us by being able to come into the flesh. So the Son of Man also emphasizes who Jesus is in relation to His work of salvation. That Bob talked about Him going to the cross for us. Somebody had to sacrifice life for life. And He's the one who did that. And so He became Messiah. Messiah is used often in the Old Testament. And Christ is the same word, but it's used in the New Testament. And so he became Messiah or Christ when he became man so that he could relate to us and he could rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin and death. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it's a long passage, but I'm going to break forth just a couple places out of there. It says in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, because these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Therefore, because of everything that he's done by coming into this world in the flesh and being offered up as a sacrifice for us, therefore... Brothers, we, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the, the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, what Hebrews is telling us, it brings us some encouragement to know what Jesus did on the cross in his body for us to sacrifice for our sins. Now we have the ability to go into the most holy place there is, the very throne room of God in heaven. No longer does he reside in the holy of holies in the temple because that was destroyed. And we can't gain access there. And really, there was only one individual who could go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And he better had been prepared himself and cleansed himself of all of his sins and all of his unrighteousness. Otherwise, he might not make it out. But Jesus has done this for us. And he understands it all. And he understands everything that we're going through. And he's blazed a trail before us. And he's opened the way to God's grace and God's mercy by what he did at the cross. And that's what Hebrews is telling us. And and recognizing who he is, the Son of Man, here in Matthew chapter 16, they should understand fully what he's capable of doing for all of us. You see... When our life begins to cut little chunks out of our heart, we bleed. And it it scars us, and there's damage that has been done to our lives and to our spirit. But we need to remember that as a man, Jesus, he too was, was damaged because his body was broken for us. We just took communion. And we just remembered the sacrifice and the body. Can you imagine putting your body through the torment and the torture and the agony that he had to go through himself in order for you to find salvation? Not his salvation, your salvation. That his his blood disappeared from his body because of all the abuse that he took. He suffered more than you and I think we could ever suffer. But he did it for you and me. You see, Jesus, being the Son of Man and the Son of God, he made every claims about himself. The claims which, if I were to make today, you would think that I was a lunatic. I was crazy. I was out of my mind. I was a heretic. And you might start screaming blasphemy. But listen to some of the claims that Jesus made about himself. As a man, he claimed oneness with the Father. He said, the Father and I are one, in John chapter 10, verse 30. As a man, he claimed to be one and only way to access God. That was in John 14, verse 6. And he said that he claimed to have lived before Abraham even lived, in John 8, 58. That makes him on par with, okay, if here he is standing in their presence, they know about him. Isn't this Joseph's son? And yet he says, even before Abraham was, I am. As a man, he claimed that after he would die, by his own power and authority, he would rise back to life again within three days. He tells us that there in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. As a man, he claimed the authority to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins, right? And he's claiming it himself. And he says that in in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, and in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, and in Luke 5, 24. He's saying that he can have the ability to sin, so take up your mat and walk. 
rise and be healed, so that you understand that even the Son of Man has that authority. As a man, he claimed to have the authority over legions of angels in Matthew 26, 53. They're at his disposal. All he has to do is say the word, and they are there. So here's the big debate. Either the claims that he made about himself are true, or they're false. And if they are false and he knew it, we'd call him a liar. But if they're true, then he's Lord. I mean, there's no, there's no other explanation for it. He's, he's either fulfilling what he said or he is disastrously wrong. And that's why the Jews decided that he needed to die. Now, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is not only the Son of Man, but He's the Son of God. And as man, He understands us, and as God, He understands we need a Savior. And He alone is the one who can rescue and save us. It's like the king who heard that some of the, the princes in his kingdom were running around and they were oppressing the people and harassing them. And so he decided to disguise himself and to step out of the castle and to go out and to be amongst the people and to live amongst them and to see what was going on with his own two eyes. And so he, he, he covered himself and he, he thought he looked like a peasant and he acted like a peasant, and so he was going to see if he would suffer the same way that they did. He ate what they ate. He worked where they worked. He, he suffered as they suffered, and he was ill-treated by these princes the same way that they were. But nobody recognized him except a few people who knew that he was going to go do this just in case something went wrong. And finally, after his experiment, he comes riding into town on his horse with the armies behind him mounted and ready for battle against those criminal princes who had been destroying his kingdom's people. You see, the same thing is with Jesus. We have been so harshly treated because of what Satan has done in this world, because of what Adam had allowed to take place with sin coming in that God himself decided to step off of his throne and enter into this world disguised as a man, that people may not recognize him. And when people did find out who he was, often he would tell them, shh, don't tell anybody. But they'd go tell people anyway. And then the crowd would be arise and they'd want to make him king, and, and, and they'd get angry because he'd say no. You see, Jesus clothed himself in humanity, unrecognized by most people as God. He disguised himself as the Son of Man. That's who he is. But there's another perspective, and I want us to jump forward to the third-person narrative, all right? And look at what do others say, because that's really what he, he came in his question there in Matthew chapter 16. So, rumor mill has it that Jesus is John the Baptist, didn't they live in contemporary to, to each other? I mean, Bob just told us that John just baptized Jesus just a couple years ago before this questioning was taking place. So how could he be John the Baptist? He can't, right? 
But this is their thought. Listen to what it says in Matthew 16, 13 and 14. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, up north of the Sea of Galilee, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And it seems that Jesus is easier to deal with or set aside if we keep him limited to being just a good man, a moral, a loving man, but not God man. If we can make him to be just like you and me, then we can, we can limit the scope really of who he is. The Jewish leaders, they were, they were concerned about him, and they were not about to credit Jesus as being the Messiah, the Christ, the one that they had longed for, and especially to give him the status of equality with God. That's nothing there. And so they accused him of blasphemy. Some of these people thought he might be John the Baptist, and that was confusing to me. How could that happen? So I did a little bit of study on this. There was a a doctrine in which the Pharisees believed, and they maintained this idea. It's called uh, metempsychosis. Metempsychosis or transmigration. Well, what really is that? Well, let me explain this to you. Uh, We might call it reincarnation. Uh, in our in our time frame today but it's really not reincarnation because they're not being born again it's where a person dies and then their soul or their spirit their being then possesses another body so what they're suggesting by saying that he must be John the Baptist is that when John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod that his soul and his spirit then went right into Jesus And so really it's John the Baptist that is in the body of Jesus communicating all these things. Or or maybe it's Elijah that has come back and he's doing this, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, because Jesus is obviously a good teacher, he's a great moral man, He's, he's got so much influence, there's something great and wonderful about him, but this cannot be, it cannot be Messiah. It has to be the embodiment of somebody else. And if Jesus can be lowered to this simply mere human level, then his words become more like wise counsel and advice and less like commands, so we can either take them or leave them. Now, despite man's effort to confine Jesus into this category of being mere human, he continues to be just exactly who he claimed to be, son of man and son of God. Now, the opinions of mankind have often been wrong. I want to give you a few, few things that are out there where people have said, I believe this, and we look at them with strange eyes, and we go, what? Let me give you some examples. It was once believed that the world was flat, like a pancake. Wrong. And today we still have an organized group here in America, nonetheless, that... that they, they call themselves the Flat Earth Society. They still believe it. My wife recently had been uh, tutoring a young man, 17 years old, who didn't graduate past first grade and could not read, write, or any of that. Um, and he had a question for her. Is the Earth really round? Or is it flat? From his understanding, it appears flat. There are still people who believe in a flat Earth. 
Or maybe this, it was once believed, and it still is by some, that we live in an earth-centered or a geocentric system uh, where everything in the universe revolves around the earth. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planetary, even the universe itself. The earth is the very center, the core of all existence. It's a little bit different than the heliocentric system where our sun is the center of our universe and we all revolve around it. But there are people who still espouse that. Science would say, wrong. Did you know that tomatoes were once considered poisonous? Wrong. We'd all be dead, right? How about this? Did, it was once considered that heavier-than-air objects would never fly. <laughs> That's wrong. Do you know what this airplane is? This airplane is the Anton, Antonov AN-225. It's the Mraya airplane. It's quite simply the largest airplane in the world at 275 feet long with a wingspan of 290 feet and a maximum takeoff, listen to this, takeoff weight load that it can lift in the air is 640 tons. <laughs> it dwarfs our 787s. As a matter of fact, you can put them inside it. When it debuted in 1988, the, the AN 225 was 50% bigger than any other airliner that had ever been built, and it remains still the largest operational aircraft in terms of length and wingspan to this day. There's only one of them. You may have seen it with the space shuttle on top, sometimes flying. How about this? The atom was once considered to be the smallest indivisible particle. Matter of fact, that's what atom means in Greek, indivisible. It's, 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 but it's wrong again. We know that the atom isn't the smallest thing because it is made up of, of neutrons and protons and, and, and electrons. You think about it. Now, while the neutrons and the protons are heavier than the electrons, so they kind of form in the center, and the electrons circle around it. And we continue to dissect down to the most minute things that we can find. And things keep splitting. People had, and they still have, misconception and opinions about Jesus as well. And as a result, they rejected then, and they continue to even reject today, who he really is. Unbelievers are like the crowd in this story. Listen to this story. A, a big electronic store advertisement about a one-hour 50% sale off everything in their store. And a week before the preseason Christmas rush, the sale was scheduled to, to commence at 6 a.m. So on the morning of the sale, over 200 people were lined up waiting to get in hours before opening time. The excited crowd, they kind of watched in disbelief as this one man was butting line again, just like that guy at the airport, moving himself forward and forward and trying to squeeze through people to get up front. And, and immediately the man was gently but firmly moved back. 
And again, he would try to go forward, and again, people would shove him back. Finally, they started kicking him and yelling at him and telling him to move back and everything. And as he stood there at the last pace, finally, just a little bit shaken, but determined, he said this. He says, all right, I'm going to try once more, and if they don't let me do that again, I'm not going to open the store for them. (laughs) You see, sometimes we try to put Jesus in last place. But we need to allow him to come to the forefront because he is the only one who can open up the door to our salvation. But yet there are people who still push him aside and they think that they know what's best and they've got the better idea of how we can do it. Unbelievers, they continue to shove Jesus to the back of the pack and to fail to recognize him for who he is. The Jews of his day thought Jesus was just some undesirable interloper who was stepping in their way. But he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that takes us to our second person narrative. Who do you say I am? Peter boldly spoke those words and his opinion. We see that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, the Messiah, the the anointed one, the one that they had been preparing for for so long, they've been anticipating this promised king, this this deliverer, this cherished hope of all Israel. That's who, who Peter says he is. He is the son of the living God. And he is son because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And he is also the man because he was brought forth through Mary. See, he's not the son of a living stone. This carved out of wood or idol. Uh, That's not who he is because all you get when you do that are chips and splinters and things. He is carved from the creator of this universe, God himself. There were a group of believers who came along after Jesus. They were really kind of almost synonymous at the same time as he was. They called themselves Gnostics. The knowers, because that's what Gnostic means. No, it means to know. They, they believed they knew, they were know-it-alls, in other words. It, and they believed that they had this special knowledge in that God himself could never lower himself to become flesh and blood since they believed that all flesh was inherently corrupted, it was evil, It was wicked. So the flesh is bad, the spirit is good. So God being spirit, there's no way he could ever take on the form of a man. Or or if he had to be totally divine and only appeared to be a human being was in fact really like a phantom, a mirage, um, some kind of apparition that was there. You really couldn't touch him, but yet you could see him. Peter's confession here declares that Jesus is not only human being Christ, but he's also divine because he is the son of the living God. It's interesting to note Jesus doesn't correct Peter. He didn't say, Peter, you're wrong. He accepts it. As a matter of fact, he says, you know, you're right. And there's no way you would have understood that had not my father told you about that. 
mean, this has been revealed to you that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not just the Christ, because many people proclaim themselves, even in his day, even before Jesus and after Jesus, proclaim themselves to be the Christ. No, he says, but you're also the Son of the living God, identifying his deity, not just his humanity. See, later Thomas, who is in this group, he himself will even proclaim these words when he finally realizes that Jesus is real, when he touches his hands and he feels the, the holes that are there. And Thomas says, he is both Lord and God. So it matters who Jesus is. And it matters what we believe about who he is as well. Listen to what John 8, chapter 8, verse 23 and 24 says. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And in, first John, or in John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, John tells us that he came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him or receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So let's illustrate this, this importance of recognizing a person for who that person is. <clears throat> There's a cathedral in Europe. There was a large, magnificent pipe organ that was there, and it was on a Saturday afternoon, and, and the sexton was making some final preparations for, for Sunday worship and doing things, cleaning things up in the choir loft and, and there and, and, and around the organ, and he was startled by hearing footprints come through the sanctuary. And he looked, and there was a man in traveling clothes that were kind of just been dishuffled a little bit and everything. And as he approached... The man coming to him said, excuse me, sir, I have come from quite a distance to see this great organ in the cathedral. Would you mind opening the consoles so that I might get a closer look at it? <clears throat> well, the custodian's like, I don't think we should do that. And he says, no, maybe not. But the stranger was so eager and he insisted. So finally he gave in and he said, okay. And then, then this guy says, may I sit on the bench? Not just look at it, but may I sit on the bench? And that request met with an absolute refusal. No way, you can't. You just, you can't do that. And, and he said, what if the organist came in and found you sitting there? I'd probably lose my job. But again, this stranger was rather persistent. And finally the sexton gave in and he said, okay. But for only a moment. You can sit there for only a moment. Well, then he noticed that the stranger seemed to be very much at home on the organ bench. And he was completely surprised when he asked him this question. May I play? <laughs> Definitely not. There's No, you cannot play. He, he says, no one is allowed to play that organ except the organist of this cathedral. And the man was just so saddened by that, just heartbroken that... Here he is at this magnificent place, and he would just love to play it. And he continued, and, and his, his disappointment was obvious. And he, he reminded the custodian how far he had come. He assured them that he would make sure nothing happened to it. Finally, he said, okay, you can go ahead and play it, but only a few notes. 
And then the man began to play. And suddenly it transformed that cathedral into this beautiful arrangement of music that was coming forth from that organ. And it was amazing. And, and the custodian there, he, he was just, he was in awe of everything that was taking place. And as he finished, he just sat. The stranger got up and he began to leave. And the custodian said, he said wait a minute. Wait a minute. He said, that was the most beautiful music I've ever heard played. Who are you? The stranger turned around for a moment. He said, Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn was one of the greatest organists and composers of the 19th century. And the cathedral custodian was now left alone with this thought. Just think. I almost kept the master from playing the music in my cathedral. You see, each one of us have this opportunity as well before us. We have been invited into a personal relationship with Jesus, the master of the universe. Not to keep him from playing his music, but really being the master of our lives. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said the thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come. They may have life and have it abundantly. And the Apostle John writes these words in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He said, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. See, when you know Him for who He is, and you choose to follow him, he gives you life that is everlasting, life that is abundant, life that knows no end. Rob, if you all want to come up, I, I, I want to challenge you, one, to get a fresh start this year in 2020. We talk about 2020 being a vision, right? We want perfect vision. I want you perfectly to see Christ this year for who he really is and for what he can do for you, but not only for you, but in you. Are you willing to, to let him have that chance? We're going to sing, and as we do, I challenge you. If you have never given your life to Christ, if you have never been baptized into his name, if you have never surrendered yourself, do that this morning. As we sing, just come. I mean, the water's warm. I've said that before. You don't have to wait. We've got clothes back here for you to change into. We can do anything we can. If you walk out of here, you may not get that chance again. But God may bless you with another opportunity. And if he does, give us a call. Come by anytime. I don't care if it's 3 a.m. in the morning. And if you finally feel, I need to surrender to Christ, let's do it. Quit putting it off. Make today the best day of your life because you see Jesus for who he is. Let's stand together.